Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Uh, But the series we're going to look at right now uh, for the next few months is just entitled Encountering Christ. And the idea behind it is just the possibilities of a life with Jesus. And what we're really going to dive into is some of the incredible miracles that Jesus worked, some of the teachings that he had, the calling of the disciples, uh, just everything that took place during the early ministry of Jesus, and really seeing how he impacted and how he impacted the people around him, and the principles that we're going to gather for the next uh, four months or so is just understanding that the same Jesus that walked this earth over two thousand years ago is the same Jesus that wants to work in your life today. And he wants you to experience him. I think sometimes, I've mentioned this before, that we look in the Bible and we look at stories in the Bible, principles in the Bible, teachings in the Bible as abstract, something that uh, maybe was for them, but not necessarily for us. But the fact of the matter is that the same God who worked in the days of the Old Testament and in the days of Jesus and the days of the early church in the book of Acts, that is the very same God that wants to work in your life and my life each and every day. And so that's what this series is going to be focused on, just a encountering Christ and coming across him each and every day in our life. As we get into the message this morning, I want to ask you this question. How many of you recognize the phrase, a little dabble do ya? How many recognize that phrase, a little dabble do ya? For the teenagers, I am not talking about like a little dab, a little dabble do ya. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, A little dabble do ya was coined in 1950, early 1950s by a kind of the first gel company, all right? Uh, Some of you guys don't need this, but the first gel company, one of the first ones, uh, invented a a, a hair gel called Brill Cream. Brill Cream, 1950s, and their commercials were a little dabble, do ya? And what is the idea behind it? Well, the idea behind it was a little bit goes a long way. A little of this will go a long way. You know, we have a lot of substances and materials that are in our everyday life, a little bit goes a long way. My wife, she paints. Many of you know that. She owns her own art business. And right now, we are in, uh, we, we hit busy season once June starts because she has shows all over the Northwest. And so she's traveling and we do farmer's market here. And it's a busy season with, with her business on top of church and all of that. So she's painting all the time. I can't, I can't tell you how much I come home from the month of, of um, probably about April, beginning of April until the end of October, October, November, I'll come home. It'll be six o'clock at night. She's finishing painting something and it's amazing. I came home the other day and a story went something like this. As I got home, usually we'll go sit out on our porch and just relax and talk about the day, spend some time together. And, and we were sitting on the porch and I'd been home about 15 minutes. She had been done painting for about 30 minutes. And I said, honey, uh, you got paint on your sweatshirt just right here. And she looked down and she went, oh, all right, I'll be right back. And she got up, went in, washed that paint off. She came back out. And uh, as she sat down, I went, Hannah, there's paint on your neck. And she's like, seriously? And I'm like, yes. Yeah. She got up, she went back, she wiped that off. A little bit later, she came back out and I'm like, now there's paint on your face. 
She had paint in her hair. She had paint all over. And I'm, she's going, I'm not painting. Where is this coming from? And I looked and on her elbow, there was a glob of wet paint that she hadn't, you know, she hadn't necessarily seen it. And it was just, it was, I say glob. It wasn't a glob. It was just a little dot of paint that she kept bumping and it kept going all over. And man, through the entire night, she was finding paint on the countertops, paint in our room, like just a little, a little dab of that paint went a long way. You ever spilt something and you thought you cleaned it all up only to find out later that it's still on you? You spill coffee, you spill water, something like that. You're like, oh, it was two drips. Pretty soon you're like, how am I soaking wet? Where did this come from? Literally, as I was typing out this illustration, I am not lying. I was typing out this illustration on my notes. I looked down and there was coffee on my hand. And I just laughed and I wiped it, wiped, grabbed a napkin, wiped it away. And then I looked down and there was coffee on the table. I don't remember spilling coffee. I wiped that up. I grabbed my coffee cup. There's coffee on the side and now dripping all over. And I, I just started laughing because I'm typing this illustration out. Like a little bit goes a long way and here's coffee all over me. I have no idea where it came from. Like I think I was even done with my coffee by that point. You know, the, thought, the idea is just this, that with some things, just a little bit will go a long way. As we come to Luke chapter number four, we are diving back into the life of Jesus Christ. We're actually coming into really what would be the, the, the platform of the early stages of his ministry. He's already been serving. He's already been doing some things. We know that because people have already referenced some miracles that are not recorded for us in scripture that Jesus had done. So Jesus has already been ministering and teaching and serving. But today is kind of where, uh, if you will, his earthly ministry just takes off. It just launches into, into full force. And what we're going to see today in Luke chapter number four, we're actually going to cover four or five different stories. But in all of them, this principle remains true. The principle is a little bit goes a long way. Well, what do you mean? The main thought through all five, four or five of these stories, one of the main thrusts is the power of the word of God. And today I want you to understand and I want, I want me to understand and be convicted and convinced again of this principle. With the word of God, a little bit will go a long way. Sometimes I think that in Christianity, we, think, we believe that we have to have like a Bible degree to be able to really understand the word of God. We think at times that we have to have all of the Bible memorized or be able to explain it from Genesis to Revelation. And we, we often think that we need to have all the answers in order for God's word to work in our life, but that is a lie from the devil. Listen, I say it often at church. I believe one of the main areas in the Christian life that the devil fights is a believer's time in the word of God because he knows the potential that just a little bit of God's word can do in your life. He, he fears the impact that God's word can have in your life. And in Luke chapter four, one of the common themes we see in all the stories that we're going to see today is the impact of God's word. 
And so what I want us to do this morning is recognize that with God's word, a little bit will go a long way. And we're going to see five things today that God's word can do in your life and in my life, just like it did back in Luke chapter number four. So let's take our Bibles and let's go there. Luke four, if you would stand with me. And we're going to read just a a few verses. We're going to bounce around in the chapter just to understand it. If you're able to stand, that's great. If not, that's fine. But Luke chapter four this morning, helping us understand that the word of God can go a long way in the life of any individual that will take time in it. And so Luke chapter four, verse number one, we read these words. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. Remember, we left Jesus in chapter two, having just been baptized by John the Baptist, all right? If you missed all of that, you think, well, what does that mean? You can go back and listen to the messages. They're online. I forget what the series was called, but it's, it's online, and you can find it right there looking at Luke chapter, chapter number two. He's been baptized, and now he's led of the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. The phrasing there, after 40 days, Jesus was tempted of the devil, but in those days... He did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward was hungered. He fasted for 40 days, and now he's hungry. The devil, Satan, comes to him and says, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone stone, that it may be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Skip down to verse 16. He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, that scroll, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover the re- and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. He gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue, they were fastened on him. They were locked on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture, this scripture fulfilled in your ears. All right, skip down to verse 31. And Jesus came down to Capernaum or Capernaum, a city of Galilee. And he taught them on the Sabbath days and they were astonished at his doctrine for because his word was with power. Verse 36, and they were all amazed. And they spake among themselves, saying, what a word is this? For with authority and power, he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. Again, this morning, we are going to discover a few things that the word of God can do in the life of any individual, helping us understand. I don't need to know it all, but a little bit will go a really long way. So we'll be helped this morning. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just in the quietness of the moment, would you pray and ask God to speak to you? God, would you please speak to me today? God, would you help me today to hear from you?
And then would you make a commitment? God, if you speak to me today, I'm gonna listen to you and I'm gonna respond. Dear Lord, we come before you today. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for how you desire to use it in our lives. And Lord, I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach your word today. I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought, direction, uh, Lord, application. I pray that you'd uh, speak into my life again. Lord, thank you for what you did in the 830 service this morning and how you spoke. I pray that you'd do that again even now. Lord, I pray for every person that's here, those that are online, that you would speak through your spirit and your word today to help us to become more like you and to be challenged to follow you in a greater, deeper way. We love you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy in each of our lives. Thank you, Lord, for knowing our heart. Thank you for knowing what we need. And so I pray right now that you would do just that in each of our lives. Give us exactly what we need. And we pray this. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. In Luke chapter four, again, we're coming to Jesus having just been baptized. He was baptized um, probably near a little, a little village just north of the Dead Sea called Bethabara. Uh, Bethabara would be kind of the opposite side of Jericho, the eastern side of the Jordan Sea or the Jordan River just above uh, the Dead Sea. And from there, we know that Jesus would travel a little bit. He would be going into the wilderness, the Judean desert. We'll see in just a minute. Uh, but then he would go up north to, uh, to Nazareth and then even into Capernaum, which is right north of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. And so you can see the region here kind of understanding where Jesus would travel. But the Bible tells us in verse number one of Luke chapter four, where we just read a minute ago, that Jesus finds himself led of the spirit into the Judean desert. It would be a desert much like this, uh, not, not any trees. If you've ever been over to Israel with us, then you drove, we drove through the Judean desert and you see this and it would be a, uh, no doubt, a hot experience, and Jesus would be fasting out there for 40 days. The Bible tells us that he's out there fasting, but at the end of that, the devil comes and he tempts Jesus Christ, Jesus facing temptation. It's in this very first story, understanding the temptation of Christ, that we find one of the very first principles about the word of God. And the thought I want us to understand today, number one, is this, that God's word goes a little bit, along, a little bit goes a long way in the fact that his word defends us. God desires that his word would be defensive in our life, would help us defend ourselves against Satan. Let's get the story. So Jesus, he's been fasting. The devil comes to him and the first temptation, we'll talk about it again in just a moment, The first temptation was to turn rocks into bread. Notice the next two temptations, verse number five. Let's pick up there. Verse five says this, and the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt wilt worship me, and all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he, the devil, brought him, Jesus, to Jerusalem, 
and set him on a pinnacle of the temple. Said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, it is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all temptation, he departed from him for a season. This passage is commonly known. Many people know about the temptation of Jesus. But in the, in the verses, in verse number three and in verse number nine, the devil uses a phrase speaking to Jesus. And he says something like this, if thou be the son of God. That phrase, if thou be, it's not, it's not Satan asking a question, okay? The idea, the reference here in the, in the Greek literally means this, in view of the fact that you are the son of God. The if right there, maybe we would use the word since. Hey, since you're the son of God, here's what he's saying. Since you have all power, now, that is significant, all right? We're gonna do a, we're gonna do a quick little Bible study. Those of you that have been here, we've been studying the book of Luke those, those few weeks before, uh, our short series in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. But in Luke, remember, Luke is writing to a man by the name of Theophilus as well as to any other readers. And here's what Luke says. I want to write to you to give you a full understanding of who Jesus is. Why is Luke writing? He's writing to prove that Jesus is Messiah. In the first three chapters, he does it by talking about the person of Jesus Christ. Hey, here's Jesus, how he was miraculously born, how he was prophesied, how people worshiped him, how he was perfect as a child. Remember Luke chapter two, how, or Luke, yeah, Luke chapter two, when he's in the, in the temple, here's how he got, he was recognized when he got baptized. Luke chapter three, here's the person of Jesus and his descendants. Here's how we can prove that he is a child of David on both, linea, on both lineages. Remember those messages, those of you that were here? What's he doing? He's preaching about, I'm gonna prove to you that Jesus is Messiah by his personhood. Now in chapter four, Luke transitions to prove Jesus's Messiahship by his power. I'm gonna prove to you that he is the son of God because he is all-powerful. And so from Luke chapter four, uh, for the next few chapters, we see Luke focusing in on the power of Jesus. So don't miss the devil saying to him, since you're the very son of God, hey, since you have all power, here's what you should do. And the devil actually tempts him in the three main areas of temptation, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now here's what we need to know. This is not the only time Jesus faced temptation. This is one of the only times that's recorded for us, but the scripture actually says that in, through his life, Jesus was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So here's what we need to know. You and I faced temptation when we were like three, four, five years old. Jesus' temptation started then too. But these ones are what's recorded for us. Here's the temptation. First, turn the rocks into bread. What is that? Hey, satisfy your flesh. You're hungry. You've gone without. Hey, it's okay to use your power for yourself. That's what, that's what it is, a lust of the flesh. Use your power for yourself. <clears throat> Second temptation. Second temptation 
The Bible tells us that the devil takes Jesus to uh, the top of a hill area and overlooks all the kingdoms. Looks, if you read it, it's almost like uh, something takes place where in a moment the devil shows Jesus all the kingdoms and says, if you will bow and worship me, then I will allow all of this to be yours. Now, why would the devil do that? Remember, the Bible teaches that he is the prince and power of the air, right? He's the prince and power of the air. So he's over all, he's in control of all, but that authority is only given to him by God. And so if you think about it, here's what happens. The devil comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, if you'll bow to me, I'll give you everything you see. What's he telling him? He's appealing to the envy side. Hey, Jesus, do you see all this? Don't you want it? Hey, don't you, don't you want to set up your kingdom now? It's a lust of the eyes. I'll give you everything you see. Third temptation, pride of life. Hey, Jesus, I'm gonna take you to a pinnacle, the, the, a high point on the, uh, on the temple. The Temple Mount, there's actually places you can go and you can see in, in Israel, they have a place called the uh, uh, Museum uh, um, of Israel's History, and you can go to this and you can see in this museum an old setup, kind of a, um, a sculpture and all this stuff of old Jerusalem and what it would have looked like. And you can look at, at the Temple Mount and you can see that there's some high points where literally you could go to the top and, and from there you'd be able to see everything. Well, G, well the devil takes him there. And now he says to him, hey, Jesus, why don't you throw yourself off because you're God's son? And if you do that, the angels are gonna come and they're gonna grab you, they're gonna rescue you. What's he attacking? The pride of life. He's attacking his position and his pride. Hey, don't you wanna show people who you are? Don't you want people to know immediately that you really are the son of God? So he's attacking Jesus, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. But what does Jesus respond with each and every time? Verse four, Jesus says, it is written, quotes from the word of God. Verse eight, Jesus says, it is written, quotes from the word of God. Verse 12, Jesus says, it is said, and quotes from the word of God. You know what Jesus does? In his moment of temptation, he used the word of God to defend himself. And here's the principle. Now we could go through and study out all of these temptations, make literally a whole message just from verse one down through verse number 13, but we're not gonna do that or else we would be in the book of Luke until 2027, all right? So we're not doing that. The main point I want us to get is just this simple fact. Jesus used the Holy Spirit and the word of God to defend himself and we too we have at our disposal the same spiritual resources that Jesus used when he faced temptation and defeated the devil. Hey, every, listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, the Holy Spirit of God is in your life. The Bible says in verse number one that Jesus went into the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit. He was tempted. He defended himself with the word. Hey, in your life and in my life, we have opportunity each and every day to be led by the Spirit and we too can defend ourselves with his word. Hey, God's word should be a defensive weapon in your life and my life when we face temptation. How many of you remember when you were a kid or maybe when you were a parent, anybody ever get in sword fights with your kids? You ever get in sword fights with your kids or with your parents? Let me ask you, what would you do? What would you do if one of your kids just came at, came at you with a sword? I mean, they just came at you with a sword and they just start, they just start hitting you. 
if you're a parent, every parent's been there. Every parent has been there. And your kid starts doing that. And your kid just starts hitting you, hitting you, hitting you. Let me ask you, if you were given your own weapon, like if you, if you could defend yourself, what would you do? Would you just stand and just let them hit on you and let them beat on you? No, you would defend yourself. Why? Because I'm not going to put up with it. Here's what we need to understand in life is constantly the devil. Listen, the devil is going to barrage your life with temptation and attacks. And you know what many Christians do? We try to just take it. Quit taking it. You know what God's given you? He's given you the word. What can you do? You can defend yourself. That's what the word of God is supposed to be in your life. It's supposed to be something that you and I, okay, you can stop that. Hurts now. Man, he's like, dad, I get to hit you a lot. Listen, here's the simple thought I'm trying to get across to you and I. Each and every day, the devil is going to attack you. You You have something to defend yourself. Quit allowing him to just take advantage of keep hitting, keep, keep, uh, hitting your life and attacking you and coming at you. Listen, the idea then, the question then is, are you using God's word to defend yourself? See, because his word defends, so use it. Second thing I see this morning is not only does his word defend, but his word convicts. His word convicts. Jesus, remember, he's in the Judean desert. He's tempted of the devil. The Bible tells us what takes place next. Verse 14, we're gonna read verse 14 and 15, and then we'll skip to verse 22 because we already read 15 through, or excuse me, 16 through 21. Jesus leaves that area of Judean desert. The Bible says that he returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. Now he's still being led of the Spirit of God, and, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And then Jesus preaches that passage where we just read a minute ago from the book of Isaiah. And we'll reference that in just a second. Skip down to verse number 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, you will surely say unto me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. I I don't want to reference this too much, but here's what happens. Jesus is speaking to the people in the synagogue, to the believers that are, to the, uh, uh, the Jewish people that are there that day on that Sabbath day. He preaches this message, which I'll explain in a minute. But then he tells them, you don't believe me. And what you're going to desire is signs. You want me to prove to you. Physician, heal thyself. You want me to prove to you that I am the Messiah. And notice what Jesus says. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias or Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. But uh, when great famine, uh, excuse me, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And then he uses a second illustration. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except saving Naaman, the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue 
When they heard these things, they were filled with wrath, immediately angered. And they, ra- they rose up, thrust him out of the city and led him under the brow of a hill whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Verse 16 starts and it says that Jesus, as his custom was, went into the synagogue on Sabbath. Now we don't have the time again to dissect all of this and dive into it, but much of the, uh, um, the worship in the synagogue toward God, Jehovah God from the Jews, um, would, the service would be somewhat like our service. A synagogue would be set up a little bit differently. There would be a lectern up, up toward the front, and then there would be kind of like bleacher-style settings on, uh, on the side of the synagogue, and then an open floor. Um, sometimes people would gather in the open floor to be able to stand or sit, but most of the time, they're off on the sides. Usually, men and women would, would divide. And a service would be something like maybe going in and they would uh, perhaps start with a, uh, the, uh, um, reciting a Hebrew prayer. They might sing a psalm from the book of Psalms. And then somebody from within the congregation, whether it be the priest, the leader of that congregation, or a layman within the church, or a traveling rabbi, teacher of some sort, somebody would get up. They would read from the scrolls, which would be mainly the uh, um, prophets or the first five books of the Bible that we have. Remember, they didn't just ever get up and him say, all right, now open your Bibles to the book of you know, Hezekiah. Or, Hezekiah is not a book. I was just seeing if anybody caught that. Uh, he said, open your Bible. You know, they didn't do that. They would actually say, I'm going to read today from the prophet Isaiah. So what happens on this day? Jesus gets up. He reads from the prophet Isaiah. He reads to them about the Messiah coming. We don't have time to get into his message, but the whole message is the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says to them, he begins his message by saying to them, today, this prophecy is fulfilled in your eyes. And they go, he just claimed to be the Messiah. They knew exactly what you you and I, we read it through our, uh, our culture's eyes. They knew exactly what he was saying. And the phrasing in verse number um, 21, look, look at it, verse number, 20, verse number 20, it says, the eyes of them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. What does this mean? He, by this, listen, he had captured, he has captured their attention. And verse 21, he says to them, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And verse 22, all that bear him witness and wondered, they wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? You know what they did? They heard Jesus say, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Hey, you are seeing the Messiah before you. They wondered at his words, his gracious words, like he spoke as one who had authority and knew what he was saying. And they begin to say, hey, didn't you change his diaper? That's what they're doing. Hey, didn't, isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this Joseph's son? Didn't he grow up here? What are they doing? Here's what they are doing. They are covering up a conviction in their heart, trying to justify why he's not the Messiah. We knew him. We know him. And so then Jesus proceeds to tell them a couple of things. And what he proceeds to tell them is a lesson that would be good for any of us, but we don't get it unless we understand it through a Jewish perspective. 
Here's the illustrations, two illustrations he gives. Elijah, a prophet, there was a great famine. There were many widows in the land of Israel. What does that mean? There were many Jewish widows in that land. But Elijah went to a Syrophoenician lady, someone you can go to at verse number... um, Verse number 26, but unto none of them was Elisha sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, a Sidonian lady, excuse me. What does that mean? Well, she's Gentile. She's not Jewish. Second illustration, Elisha. Hey, Elisha could have healed a lot of people with leprosy, but who did he choose to heal? Naaman, the great warrior of Syria. What was he? A Gentile. What, what, is, what is Jesus doing as he, as, he, as he works through this? He's saying to them, hey, the Messiah is here and the Gentiles will be able to receive me as well. That is why you read in verse number 25 um, uh, and 26, 27 in there, when it says in verse number 26 that all in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath. Why? How dare you say that Gentiles can be saved. How dare you say that? See, Jesus was even speaking some prophecy knowing uh, what we know from the book of Romans that all are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, whether you're Jew, Gentile, whether you're uh, black, white, Hispanic, whatever nationality you are, whatever you are, listen, every single person, the ground is level at the cross. They did not like that. Why? Because of their religious piety. And so what did they do? The Bible tells us that they took him to the edge of a hill and they were gonna throw him over headlong, head first, throw him over, and Jesus slipped out through the midst. Now, what does this teach us? What could we do with this simple fact? Here's what we need to understand. They were presented with truth and they were convicted to the heart. You wanna know why they wanted to kill Jesus? Because they couldn't shut him up. They, couldn't, they knew he's right. They were convicted. You look up the phrasing when they were astonished and fastened and that he spoke with gracious words. Man, those are, those are uh, descriptions helping us understand. They were there saying, this can't be. Rationalize it away. Don't we know? This is Joseph's son. They were convicted to the core. You know, what we need to know is that God's word is supposed to convict us and point us, point out to us what we need from God. And God's word still convicts. Isn't there a time you've ever been sitting in church or you've ever been at home reading the word of God and God says, hey, this is for you. This convicts you. The author of Hebrews said that his word is uh, like a sword that pierces. It convicts. But you know what we do sometimes? We don't try to throw Jesus off a cliff, but we do try to silence him. We do try to rationalize things away like they were. They were trying to silence him, trying to rationalize the fact that maybe he wasn't the Messiah. And you know what you and I do at times? We crowd Jesus out when that conviction comes. We rationalize why we're right and maybe the Holy Spirit working within us is is wrong and how God doesn't have a full grasp of the situation. Uh, For example, the times in your life when, when you know, don't say it. 
don't say it. Don't say that. No, don't, don't do that. And you're in an argument with that person and you're thinking to yourself, I'm justified to say this. I'm justified to say this to my coworker, to my parent, to my young teenager, to my spouse. I'm justified because that God, don't you know what they did? And the Holy Spirit is saying to you, don't, don't, don't. Because you read in, you read in your devotions that morning that a fool opens up, opens up his mouth and uttereth all the words that he thinks. Maybe that's not you, but that's Dennis Fountain because I did that this week. I read in my Bible, I'm going through the book of Proverbs, and I read, and God spoke to my heart. A fool opens and utters all of his mouth and basically says all the words on his mind. And I prayed that morning, God, help me not to use my words foolishly today. And later on that day, you know what I did? My wife said something, and the Holy Spirit's going, don't do it. Don't say it. Don't do it. You know what Big Mouth Dennis Fountain did? Big mouth Dennis Fountain opened up his big mouth and said something. And as soon as I did, the Lord was like, come on, man. And you know what Dennis Fountain was saying the rest of the day? Ah, oh, come on, man. Hey, you know what? When God convicts you through his word, don't silence him. Don't push him out. Understand that when God's word convicts you, listen to him, apply it. And, and allow him to work in your life. His word, it defends. His word convicts. Thirdly today, his word teaches. Hey, God uses and desires to use his word to teach into our lives truths that are profound. Notice verse 31. Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath day. And they were astonished at his doctrine. Why? Because his word was with, what's the word? Power. His word was with what? Hey, his word was with complete power and authority. Go and do the research sometime. Most of the places in scripture, when it references that Jesus taught, the Bible uses phrases like the people being astonished or his word going out as with power or with great authority. So here's Jesus in Capernaum. He's in the city that would be now the home of, of Peter and Andrew and James and John. Jesus is there and he's speaking and this will be the actual synagogue. If you, if you ever go with us to Israel, our next trip is September of 2024. If you ever go with us, this synagogue is a Byzantine synagogue that sits literally on top of the synagogue that Jesus would have spoken. You can look down in two specific areas and you can see the floor where Jesus would have taught from. And you can, you can stand there and see it. And Jesus would be there in the front of this synagogue and he's teaching to these people. Actually, the synagogue at Capernaum would be a place where probably many of the story or many of the um, teachings and the lessons that Matthew writes about and Mark writes about and John and Luke write about, many of those lessons would take place in Capernaum because Jesus kind of was the, the home teacher there. People loved him. He was accepted. He was revered. Jesus was loved there. And so he goes and he begins to speak in their synagogue on that day. And what happens? The Bible says the people were astonished. That word astonished, it means to strike with amazement. To strike with amazement. They were amazed at his words. They were captivated by his words. I think of what is said after Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter number 7. Came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them 
as one having authority and not as the scribes. You know what Jesus did when Jesus spoke? He taught sayings, John chapter six says, that were hard to hear. Why were they hard to hear? Well, people were astonished. Jesus' teaching was hard to hear because his teaching was different than any other religious teachings. Right? I mean, and you think about it today. God's word is different. When it's in context, God's word is different than any other teaching. You see, most religions tell you that you have to earn God's love. You know, God's word tells you you can't earn God's love because he already loves you more than he ever will. Uh, you, there's, God will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. That's not taught in a lot of religions. That's profound. God's, God's word teaches what many religions teach against. Well, what's that? Most religions say you have to perform for God. God's word says you can't perform for him. Like, it's not about performance. It's not about going, well, you got, you know, God, eh, I guess I'll let you in because of performance. No, 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 no. It's about, it's about a faith in Jesus Christ and his grace. You see, when it comes to Jesus, everything that he taught was hard to hear because it contradicted what was being taught. At that time, there would have been Greek mythology, paganism, pantheism, Gnosticism, uh, asceticism, Judaism, and many other isms and Eastern uh, religions. And many of those have permeated that culture and the society in which Jesus lived. And so that's, that's why they were astonished at his teaching because it was opposite of what everybody else taught. Why were they astonished in Matthew 7? Because Jesus had literally taught about some things that people disagreed with. You see, his messages caused people to marvel because Jesus taught the way up is down. Hey, humble yourself and then you'll be exalted. Jesus taught the way to have is to give. Jesus taught the way to be known is to serve. Jesus taught, hey, you want real peace in a situation and relationship? Learn to forgive, not get even. <laughs> hey, those are, those are contrary. Those are different to our thinking. And yet Jesus taught, and he taught all of these because his word is something that we can learn from. And the fact is this, that his word teaches us. So what should I do? Learn from it and apply it. Hey, don't try to excuse away some of the teaching of Christ. Just learn from it and apply it into your life. What's he trying to do? He is teaching you that which helps everything. Well, what does God's word address? Well, God's word addresses all parts of life, doesn't it? His word teaches us how we can overcome anxiety. His word teaches us how we can, how we can uh, work through discouragement. His word teaches us how we can have our words to be kind with those around us. God's word teaches us about marriage and child raising. God's word teaches us about being a grandparent. God's word teaches us about church relationships. Hey, God's word teaches us all of that. So quit pushing it aside. And man, I'm speaking to myself. How often do we lean on our own wisdom? And yet we need to understand uh, that what the, uh, the author of Proverbs wrote, man, that God blesses when we don't lean in our own wisdom and lean in our own understanding, but on him. How do we lean on him through his word? Why? Because his word teaches. Notice fourthly today, his word delivers. His word delivers. I don't have time to expound on all of these stories, but let's just look at this real quick. Verse number 33, down through verse number 36. In the synagogue, that day, Jesus is speaking. People are astonished at his teaching. There's a, there's a man with a demon in him. 
a demon-possessed man. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. The demon cries out, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? Hey, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. There's them recognizing his power. But Jesus, his word, he rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. At the beginning of Luke chapter number four, Jesus uses his word to show victory in his personal life over the enemy. Now he uses his word to deliver somebody else in their life from the power of the enemy. In these verses, Jesus shows his authority over the enemy. What does he do? He brings deliverance. And that's what the word of God does. It brings deliverance. Now, in this specific passage that Jesus is dealing with a demon-possessed man, and I'm going to tell you this, um, in our day and age, a lot of people are enamored by the underworld and demons and all of that type of stuff. And I know, uh, I've, I've heard some uh, pastors get up and they'll say, oh, just bring them on, bring on the demon-possessed. You know, Man, that, that's not what this passage is teaching. This passage is not saying, hey, you and I right now in this moment, we have the power, just bring them on. That's not what it's saying. Okay, the idea is for Jesus Christ, what did he use to rebuke the demon? He, he used his word. Now, a Christian, someone who follows Jesus, cannot be demon-possessed. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you. But believers can be oppressed by demons. And, listen and mark it down, and by the culture of this world. The devil is still the prince and power of the air, so he will use anything to oppress, to push you and I under. You know what God desires for his word to do? To deliver us. Hey, in your life and my life, here's what we need to remember. His word brings deliverance. Why? Because he has all authority and all power over all evil. 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hey, the devil has no authority in your life. Once you know Christ, the devil literally has no authority. He, he can't do anything. He can, he can attack and oppress, but you have a God. Listen to how 1 John, listen to what John writes. When he writes all of these things, go read the book of 1 John, all five chapters. You will read this phrase over and over again, but God is greater, Hey, the devil wants to use anything to discourage you and frustrate you, but God's word can deliver you from that. Now, does that mean there are no other resources that we should lean into? No. Listen, there are other great resources out there and great books about overcoming and great, uh, great helps understanding even some of the biological things regarding anxiety and all of that stuff. So today, pastor is not getting up and saying, if you have anxiety, it's a sin issue. No, 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 no. I'm saying this, the devil is behind trying to oppress and work in a Christian's life to get you down. And yes, you and I have great resources. You can find, we can have great counselors. I mean, I do trauma counseling with people and all of that. So I know that there is some wisdom in counseling, but for a Christian, the very first place we should go should constantly be the word of God. Now, do we, do we lean into those other resources? Of course, God gave us that, yes. But don't think that all of our victory comes from outside sources. Man, our deliverance always comes from the word of God. 
And you know what God will do? He'll use his word and sometimes some of those other resources to partner things in our life and help things make sense. And I can tell you, there's been plenty of times I've been going through maybe some anxiety or some frustration or some fear, and I'm in the Bible and I'm reading scripture, but man, I just need some help, and so I seek some counsel, and I've had somebody say, well, let me give you this thought. Hey, let me talk to you about it. And they come at it from a different angle, and you know what God does? He goes, hey, remember that? I showed that to you two weeks ago in scripture. But, but it took somebody else to help make it make sense. Does that make sense? So here's what we need to understand is just the fact that if his word brings deliverance into our life, man, it should be one of those things that I continually turn to. The idea, his word delivers. So do what? Embrace it. Man, lean into, run to the word of God. And lastly today, I want us to see this, that his word heals. His word heals. Jesus leaves the synagogue. The Bible says he arose out of the synagogue, entered into Simon's house, Peter's house. And Simon's wife's mother, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, was taken with a great fever. And they besought him for her on her behalf. And he stood over her. And what did he do? He rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto him. I'm gonna leave out all of the mother-in-law jokes right now because I have a good mother-in-law. But you have to wonder if it was actually Peter's wife that was like, hey, Jesus, would you be able to help? And Peter's going, no, no, don't bother him. No, I'm mom, hey, honey, I'm sure mom will be fine. She'll be fine. But either way, we know that it says that they besought him for her. And Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever and physically healed her. Now, again, we could make the Bible teach us that you and I have the power to walk about and say, are you sick? Healed, be thou healed. If you, if you have that gift, there's a hospital right down the street. Go there, room to room. It would be great, great way to validate that that gift is there. But here's what Jesus, here's what a principle we can learn. His word healed physically, but we also need to understand, and scripture teaches it time and time again, his word heals spiritually. Hey, God's word is like the Bible says, uh, an ointment, a salve that is put into our life to heal. Did you notice the message that Jesus preached to the believers in Nazareth when he said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted? How would he do that? Through his word. Man, God's word brings healing into my life. That's why we read so often a psalmist maybe quoting, maybe writing this like Psalm 42. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. Hey, lean into God. Why? Because I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Hey, the psalmist recognized that healing was gonna come from God. So here's the simple thought I wanna give to you as we get ready to wrap up this morning is this. In your life, God desires to use his word to heal spiritually. God desires his word to comfort, help, encourage, strengthen. He wants his word to be that in your life. But God also wants that to happen through you into the life of someone else. You know what I would say today is you never know who around you needs healing from the word of God. And if you and I know it, you know what we can do? We can speak it to others. You ever had someone that you just know they're discouraged? I've had it happen in my life. Some of you have done this in my life. I think of when we've gone through loss with our family and how often I would get a, a receive a text message from somebody in our church. And, and in that text, it would say something like, hey, pastor, we're praying for you, wanna encourage you. 
But in many of those texts, you know what people would include? A Bible verse. Hey, pastor, here's something I read and I thought of you. Now, why would we do that? Because we realize that God's word working through me, it can heal somebody. It could help somebody. You never know how God wants to use the word in your life and in my life through you into someone else's life. And so with that in mind, we would understand this, that if his word brings healing, live it, display it, speak it. Hey, can I tell you this today? A little bit of this goes a long way. It's not just for Brill Cream. <laughs> with God's word, a little dabble do you. Hey, just a little bit can go a long way. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to be in full-time ministry. You just have to be committed to the word of God because a little bit goes a long way. This morning in your life, are you leaning into it? Is it something that you are getting into each and every day? Trying to apply it into your life? Or do we just excuse it away? Well, that's for church on Sunday. No, 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 my friend. It's God's love letter to you to help you and I each and every day. Hey, he wants us to use it into our life. Remember what the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path, directing every issue of life. It is the living word of God which can impact the life of any individual. The key is we have to know it. We have to know it. I close with a thought from a quote I heard this week. When Satan challenges your loyalty to God, your confidence in God's love, and your confidence in God's plan, and when Satan challenges your will to act in a proper manner towards God's promises, what will anchor you is your knowledge of the word of God and your devotion to follow him through it. You see, it's through his word that we get closer to him. So I wanna ask you this morning, would you make a decision? God, I'm gonna be more committed to your word than I've ever been before. And you know what you're gonna have to do tomorrow? Make the same decision. Because tomorrow the devil's gonna say, don't worry about it. Tomorrow the devil's gonna say, ah, it's okay, you don't need it. Hey, every Christian, don't underestimate the impact that God's word can make in your life. You see, God uses his word and his Holy Spirit to help you and I become more like Jesus. So I would ask you, if you know Christ as your savior, are you allowing his word to do that? If you're here this morning though and you don't know Jesus as your savior, I'd ask you that. Do you, do you know Jesus as your savior? Are you sure he's in your life? Because if you don't know him as savior today, today can be the day where you put your faith and your trust in him.